0: This podcast is brought to you by the Government Art Collection and is supported by an educational programme grant from the Paul Mellon Centre for Studies in British Art. In August 2015, the British Embassy in Tehran reopened after four years of closure. It was a new beginning, but there was still a lot of work to be done. I'm Laura Popovichu, and in this last episode, I'll explore a new chapter in the British-Iranian cultural and diplomatic relations. Chargé d'affaires, Mr. Nicholas Hopton and his wife, Alejandra Echenique de Hopton, experienced the reopening of the British Embassy in Tehran. I had the pleasure of meeting them on a visit to the government art collection when Mrs. Hopton recounted the event.
1: Well, it was an exciting time for my husband, Nick, it was really interesting to return to Iran having visited with his family at um, 11 years old before the revolution and see how much things had changed. For me, it was a discovery of a new country and its long history and unique culture. It felt great to be living the reopening of the British embassy after the historic nuclear agreement that was signed in August 2015 and the improving relationship between Iran and the United Kingdom. However, it was not free of challenges. So shortly after my arrival I took on the role of coordinating the residence restoration work, liaising with the embassy in the FCO States, the Government Art Collection and the FCO services. The objective was to find the best way to restore the works of art that had been severely damaged after storming in twenty eleven, and also find new artworks and interior design to refresh the residence as it was looking very tired after many closures and disruption. Once Andrew Parrott from the GAC and I concluded that the artworks needed to be restored in London, the main challenge was to get the Iranian authorities on board and seek their approval to transport the artworks back to London. This involved inviting several officials from the Ministry of Culture and Heritage to the residents to take a look at the damage. This took many attempts, but they eventually came in December 2017. It took some persuading Um, ...for them to agree that the artworks needed to go back to the UK. They wanted the ambassador's reassurance and word... ...that the artworks would be returned eventually to Tehran, which Nick gave them. The next step was that they wanted to witness and check the wrapping and packing... ...once the special crates were made. The final step was to get the crates through the Iranian customs, which took several days... But they finally boarded an Iran Air flight in February 2018. So that was a a great day for us and a great relief. I've recently written an article about the whole project for the Diplomatic Service Families Association publication, which comes out every quarter. Um, It it was going to be a nice glossy um, article with photographs showing the before and after. So it should be quite interesting. And they will be circulated around all the embassies and all the, all, all the spouses as well, so quite widely around the, the office.
0: Hosting is part of diplomacy. It is one of the many ways of engaging with a host country. There were a number of events that took place in the residence during Mrs. Hopton's time.
1: A highlight for me was hosting 80 Iranian businesswomen for the International Women's Day. We invited a few of them to give a speech including the founder of Iran Talent, a successful recruitment agency. It was truly inspiring hearing how she and others had overcome some of the obstacles in their society in order to fulfill their dreams. I would say the most surprising aspect of Iran was how educated and sophisticated the women are. Statistics show that there are more women at university than men, so it's quite amazing. I also really enjoyed teaching English to the embassy local staff, which was about 80-odd people. It really gave me the opportunity to get to know Iranians properly and what makes them tick. They are really warm and wonderful people.
0: Mrs Hopton's background is in communications. She's also a mother of five children and an oil painter. She showed me photographs of the paintings she made in Iran, Two in particular caught my eye, so I wanted to learn more about her practice.
1: The beautiful architecture, culture and people have really inspired my paintings. One big exhibition at the Golistan Palace, which I was invited to be involved in, was themed Picnic, Iranian style. My paintings explored the Persian tradition of picnicking. Whether by a river or by a motorway, the Iranians always picnic with great style. You'll often see them using their Persian carpets to sit on. I also did some painting of the residence, and the rear view is particularly beautiful because you get this incredible terrace at the back, which is, um got a wisteria all along it, and it's, it's really a stunning terrace. So I did a painting of that with a fountain, and it was framed and put up in the residence because there was absolutely nothing in the residence at all. It was completely an empty shell and really needed a few paintings just to give it some life and colour and make it feel more lived in. And we made them into greeting cards, so we used them to sort of say thank you to people as well. But when I removed all those paintings, it was very empty, so I'm sure it will look very much different now that the works have come back.
0: It was my colleague Andrew Parrott, Head of Collection Care at the Government Art Collection, who brought the works back to Tehran. Andrew has been involved in the project since the day of the attack in 2011. He curated the new display and oversaw its installation in February 2019. I asked him about his first trip to Iran and the conservation treatment that the damaged works required.
2: When I visited in 2016, there had already been uh, some work undertaken since 2015 in terms of improving the residence. So I didn't see it in its worst state. But certainly, even having seen paintings damaged in photographs, actually being presented with, uh, you know, stretches where whole paintings had been cut away and fragments of canvas that I then looked to kind of reassemble On the dining table there you know it was shocking it was unlike anything else we're used to dealing with conservation issues but never with the product of of such a, a violent confrontation the worst affected paintings such as Queen Victoria and Fatali Shah needed extensive structural treatment so even before the paint layer could be restored uh, there needed to be uh, ad- addressing to the kind of the rents in the fabric and the slashes and the cuts and the puncture marks. The other interesting thing about the conservation is that because many of the paintings had been over there for decades, possibly, you know, over a century, they'd been practically untouched by any kind of uh, conservation treatment. And in a sense, once you looked beyond Uh, the damage of the attack, you could see that the the paint surface was completely original.
0: A project of such a scale requires a sensitive and carefully considered approach. Andrew explained what shaped his curatorial vision.
2: When I approach a project like this, I try and find some kind of principle that I want the display uh, to follow on from. And the idea that I I came up with, um, which I thought embraced both the longevity of the relationship, but also the difficulty inherent in that relationship, was actually from a book title, Uh, my favorite book title, in fact, which is by Ian McEwan, Enduring Love, with enduring being, (sighs) having in both senses of the word, so it it both acknowledges the kind of the pain and difficulty of that relationship, but also the fact that over six or more centuries, uh, you know, Britain and Iran have engaged. I tried to give each part of the, of the building with its different functions, as I discussed it with the ambassador, uh, a very distinct character. So in the drawing room, there are two portraits of Kaja female entertainers early 19th century and the drawing room was the main entertaining space Uh, a few days before i went to do the installation it was being used for a burns night dance and so the idea of 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 these uh, portraits of anonymous female entertainers seemed entirely appropriate within that space the most important room uh, was the Fatali Shah room, named after the famous portrait by Ahmad uh, that we have. And this, this room had been painted a kind of a, a deep yellow, which was a surprise when I got there, but seemed entirely natural, as that was the, the colour of the tiles that we see at Golastan Palace, which was the main Kaja residence in Tehran. And there Fatali Shah kind of is hung above a fireplace. Now, traditionally, he, he hung there alone, but I wanted to give it the sense of, I suppose, a, a presence chamber. Uh, he so dominates the room, but at the same time, I wanted to incorporate some of the early British diplomats that came over and uh, met both Ali Shah, but also um, uh, the, the Shah from the... Um, Safavid period, Shah Abbas. And so we have three uh, British ambassadors there, Robert Kerr-Porter and uh, Sir Thomas Herbert and Sir Robert Shirley, who represent um, diplomatic engagement from uh, the late 16th century between Britain and Iran. The other theme, apart from pure diplomacy, is the sense of diplomatic gift-giving within this room. Because the Fatali Shah was uh, a gift, we think, to John Campbell, the charge d'affaires, in the 1830s. But also, while this project was going on, a painting by al-Din Shah, who was uh, the Khaja Shah from the mid 19th century, uh, had also given a painting to the residents that he painted himself of Venice. The dining room is extremely important and represents another distinct phase in the life of the residents. And what I wanted to do is recreate that display from the Tehran conference, which involved the Queen Victoria, and famously there's a a photograph of Churchill cutting a birthday cake in which you can see uh, the corner of the portrait of Queen Victoria, but also Edward VII and George V. And Mary of Tech, so there were these four royals that can be seen in the photographs in the Tehran conference and I thought if we put them together in that room uh, as as the Tehran conference room that would that would give a real distinct area of the residence where that part of its history could be expressed alongside the main rooms there's also a long service corridor um, and One of the themes that I tried to do there was a sense of more international engagement uh, using a a portfolio of prints that we have from the Temple of Flora. So this was um, a group of botanical prints, exceptionally for the time showing uh, a flower or a plant within the context of its uh, original landscape. So there's plants from India, from Egypt, from Persia, And this gave a sense of international engagement in the contemporary sense, but also, I like to think, gently alluded to Iran's historical importance on the Silk Road, this sense of it being connected or part of a network. The last area was in the study, and here the architectural context was crucial because the study is the only room where there are no very ornate architectural mouldings which seemed uh, more appropriate to display contemporary works. So in there, we have works by Derek Hurst from 1975, which are inspired by the decoration of the Jame Mosque in Isfahan, but also a set of prints, um, etchings, called Round Dance by Shirazay Hushari, uh, which uh, allude to Sufism, and the poetry of uh, the 13th century poet Rumi.
0: It took eight long years of dedication and commitment for Andrew to see this project through. Now that the installation has been completed, I asked him to reflect on his journey alongside this project.
2: It's rare to have a project of that length that kind of closes a circle so neatly. And in a sense, uh, there's a, a kind of... Uh, a slight sadness, I suppose, to it, a kind of elegiac sense. So once the works were on the wall and I'd uh, given the various talks to the visitors and staff about it, I spent a lot of time wandering around the rooms and kind of reflecting on the works, on each of their their stories. And that's because when you have works in, in the collection, you become very kind of attached to them. The likelihood is that they, well, certainly not the most important works such as Fatali Shah and Queen Victoria would probably never return to the UK in my lifetime. And so there's a sense of it coming to a close, but also this was a last chance for me to actually see these works in the flesh, so to speak. So it was satisfying, but at the same time tinged with a little bit of sadness that the project had come to an end.
0: It was a pleasant surprise to discover that Andrew and I shared a fascination with the same work of art, the portrait of Thomas Herbert. What was it about this painting that captivated Andrew?
2: It always appealed to me as a portrait. It's rather dark and enigmatic and quite difficult to get people to place. But I always have a sense that there is, among the government art collections, 400 locations there's always somewhere where a work will be absolutely perfect. And in this sense, this portrait found its home. Now, what the detail that I particularly like about it is, as I say, the portrait has a kind of a a smoky darkness to it. But if you hold up a light uh, to the top left-hand corner, it actually has the Herbert family motto in Welsh, which it says something like, um, Paub un ur. Arver, which means each to their own custom, which I think, given the experience of the man and where he he hangs now in the British Embassy in Iran, is just a, a perfect diplomatic statement.
0: As curators, one of our foremost concerns is the audience, how viewers move within a space and engage with the works of art. The same applies with the display in the Tehran residence.
2: What I would like people uh, to feel when they go in there is yes, that sense of the enduring nature of the relationship, the difficulties which are expressed by the artwork, but also the simple fact that we've had this relationship for so long and that these works can, can start conversations and can make people talk. And it seems incredibly important where a relationship is difficult uh, that that dialogue continues.
0: One other feature that distinguishes the British compound in Tehran, also known as the Ferdusi compound, is an extraordinary garden with its silvery plane trees planted in 1870. This green oasis was once described as a place of spiritual reprieve. Andrew took a glimpse of it.
2: There's bird song, always bird song in there. There's always uh, the sound of fountains. Uh, there's one at the front and back of the building. The original residence, which I assume was probably in a, a much quieter Tehran, now has the constant churn of traffic around it. it. It provides this kind of white noise in which the, the bird song and the fountain kind of uh, overlays. And then occasionally, you know, as dusk comes, you'd hear their call to prayer.
0: I could hear the bird song like a distant echo from Atar's Conference of the Birds a 12th-century allegorical masterpiece of Persian literature about a wise hoopoe that leads a reluctant group of 30 birds towards enlightenment. After an arduous journey through the seven valleys, they finally reached the kingdom of Simorg, a mythical bird of the Iranian cosmogony. The sweet and captivating chirps followed me as I spoke to Her Majesty's Ambassador to Tehran, Mr Rob McCare We explored how diplomats use art to influence others in the negotiation processes.
3: Well, I think there's two sides to diplomacy. Of course, there's a, there's a purely transactional side and there's a more human side where you're working across cultures. It makes a very big difference to be able to connect in different ways, uh, whether that's through a personal connection, meeting each other, or through shared interests, or through things that people feel very strongly emotionally about. I think art is a very important way of just reaching outside of that transactional relationship to get people interested in talking about something different.
0: A recent study carried out by Dr Melissa Nisbet and Dr James Doser from King's College London reports that we generally tend to view soft power and cultural diplomacy as something positive, something that works. If we look critically at soft power, we notice that, in the case of Tehran, 2011 was an instance when it wavered in the face of unrest. Ambassador Rob McCare commented on his approach and understanding of soft power.
3: One of the first things I'd say about that is that we tend to view soft power as a very benign expression and a very benign Phenomenon, And that's not necessarily how it's seen everywhere in the world. And, and here in Iran is a good example of somewhere where people uh, view some aspects of cultural diplomacy and, and soft power as actually quite threatening. And in fact, even in the language that we use in Persian and language used particularly by the establishment here in the country, people so talk about soft invasion, soft overthrow, soft power. And they talk about the way in which other countries and other cultures might be trying to subvert the, the system and the structure of government here, which is, you know, which is not our intent. And that's not, not the way that we think about cultural engagement. But it is just the way that some people think about it. So it's not necessarily seen as a positive thing. And I think for me being here, it's, it's interesting. It's the first place I've been where I've had to, to think about cultural diplomacy and uh, engagement in a more careful way to show that it is genuinely a benign way of expressing the positive things or the positive soft things about our country and our culture that is, that is not a threat. So I think you have to look at the ups and downs in our relationship, in, including uh, 2011, uh, in that light. Uh, and I think that um, getting the artwork back to Tehran is an example of uh, you know, a positive step in how we express the UK here. But it's it definitely, it's a relationship which is more complicated than many that we have. And so cultural diplomacy and, and soft power are, are things that have to use in a way that um, minimizes mistrust and maximizes engagement.
0: Now that the works of art have been reinstated in the residence, I ask the ambassador to reflect on the significance of this gesture.
3: I think it's incredibly significant. And I think significant in a number of different ways. So, obviously, just uh, the very fact of the artwork itself is very important, and the the damage that was done to it when the embassy was attacked was not only you know tragedy from the point of view of the art, but also symbolically it was a very negative thing. So, having uh, restored the, this artwork in such a beautiful and professional way. You know, obviously that's that's important in its own right, but it's also quite symbolic of restoring and repairing and patching things up in the relationship. So I think it's a very positive signal. I think the because the artwork here is quite historical, it also speaks to the length of the relationship that we've had here. And, you know, the history is very complex between Britain and Iran, and some of it's good and some of it's not so good. But we shouldn't try and forget that or turn our back on it. And what the art does is it reminds us of that history and of the, the richness of the history, the depth of that history, going back to Robert Shirley. So it's just a reminder of how long that diplomatic engagement has existed. The other thing it's significant about it is it shows a sense of confidence that we're you know back and reinstalled in Iran and that we believe in a relationship and we're prepared to invest in uh, our long-term presence here. That includes the art on our walls.
0: Art displayed in a diplomatic setting influences how people relate to another culture. To what extent, though?
3: It makes people think and it can get away from people's uh, stereotyped ideas about a country. And and when used to its best effect, art should be, to some extent, surprising and it should surprise people uh, in some way or another. And that can be by displaying very modern works in a very traditional setting, can actually be reminding people just how how far it goes back. Finding the narratives and the stories and the anecdotes around the artwork and around the people that feature in the artwork, I think it's an incredibly useful tool for us to have.
0: The new display will undoubtedly change the rhythm in which diplomacy is staged in the residence, as well as create a lasting impression on its visitors. I wondered how the ambassador resonated with the works of art.
3: Absolutely delighted with them. Uh, I think um, we've been living in this house really without much on the walls while we've been waiting for the art to come back. And I think it's been difficult to envisage what it actually looks like until it's, until it's been here, until it's arrived. And, and I think everyone is, is, is absolutely delighted with it um, because the art is, is both impressive and, and thought-provoking. Uh, and it's been put together. Uh, the collections have been put together in a very thoughtful way. For me, the, the, what's really special is to have the two 19th-century Persian paintings and a sort of pride of place in the drawing room here. That although they're they're, they're Persian artworks, they have not been seen in this country for the last 150 years. Uh, and and I like the works themselves tremendously, but I also like the, the story of them because they've come from the uh, the British Embassy in Prague, um, where they came originally from a Czech nobleman who who had them and they were taken over by the British Embassy uh, in the Czech Republic. And now they've come back to Iran. And so there's a, there's a sense of a journey there. And also an interesting mixture of of these Khajar uh, paintings that are in sort of a very sort of distinctive European style of frame. So it's a, just a mixture of, of the cultural influences. And, and I think they're just very nice pictures. If you sit here uh, as ambassador, you have a sense of, of the weight of, of history on your shoulders when you, when you look back at the, uh, the people who've come here before we had resident presence here, uh, going back to the 16th century. And uh, the, the artwork um, you know, makes, makes you think of these uh, people who've been here doing this, this diplomatic work between our countries. Um as a, you know, as real people, and not just as, as names on the page. Uh, so I, I love all that history that goes with them, and I think the sense of that sort of continuity from the from the 16th century through the 21st century is, I say, hopefully, it's thought provoking for our guests and our contacts, but it's also thought provoking for us. I hope that it will give us more incentive to do more with the diplomatic estate here.
0: The series of events has already started with a celebration of the new display.
3: Well, we've done a couple of things. The main thing that that we were keen to do was to take advantage of the fact that Andrew Parrott was here to install the works and with the knowledge not only of the works but of the government art collection more broadly. So we invited people from a number of museums, art galleries, artists and people from government as well so that we could mark the arrival of the artworks and Andrew was able to talk about them and describe them. But it's also gone down incredibly well with the internal audience. There's a lot of people who work in this mission and they're very proud of this building and of the history and of the art. So for people who've, who've seen the artworks before, maybe have been here a long time, uh, who were very distraught about the damage to them, to see them come back in such a splendid way, it's just gone down incredibly well with, with all of our staff here.
0: There are instances when the context determines how people respond and connect to a work of art. Showing art in a diplomatic building as opposed to a museum setting can trigger new responses from visitors, as the ambassador explained.
3: People view art in a very different way when they come to somewhere like this residence than they do if they're going to a museum or to an art gallery to see art. And I think that that's very helpful because it provokes conversation around art in the way that when you go to a formal museum there's a particular reaction that's expected of you, and it's you know, it's a sort of, it's a studious one um, and I think here uh, and, and in spaces like this around the world, uh hopefully it's a more natural reaction and people can talk about what the art means to them and and what reaction it provokes. you know I hope we're going to see a lot more of that as as people come. and I think people will be surprised people have been coming over the last few years without the art on the walls will be very impressed when they come here and see it in its current splendor.
0: The space in which soft power is choreographed and exercises its influence is generally viewed as a closed one. I got the ambassador's view on how cultural diplomacy can transcend this space and reach larger audiences.
3: We're very keen to, to make this embassy more accessible in different ways and one of that is physically it's to sort of have open days and to have more people here and, and to talk you know to people about what we're doing but the other is virtually and it's actually to use social media and to use the opportunities of the virtual world to explain to people what we have and what we do and the art is a great a great opportunity for that so yes i mean cultural diplomacy can take place in a closed space but if it's at its best it should be in as open a space as possible
0: It was a chilly and rainy day on the 26th of November 2018 when I decided to spend my late afternoon in the racking area of the government art collection. I followed the delicate scent of roses mixed with hyacinths, calendulae and irises coming from the bejeweled vase in Ahmad's painting and paused right in front of Fatali Shah. His majestic posture required reverence. I was transfixed. The only words that came to my mind were those of the 19th century traveller Thomas Alcock, who once described him as the shadow of God upon Earth. His transparent black beard revealed two strings of pearls that shaped his silhouette. The two legendary diamonds encrusted on his armbands, charmingly known as the Mountain of Light and the Sea of Splendour, Was shining brighter than ever. I eventually freed myself from their spell and turned to the right. And there was Yusuf on the throne. Ho, O Yusuf of Egypt, whom sovereignty kept engaged. Ask the father where went at last filial love, read the two lines from the Divan of Hafiz. I slowly cast my eyes over the discreet servant behind Yusuf, his forefinger graciously pointing towards his lips, an ancestral sign of total obedience for his master. I then looked at the kajar entertainer and imagined the rich sound of her sitar. The emphatic rhythms drew me towards the round dance etchings by Shiraze Hoshiari. I tried to decipher their calligraphy, which was melting into the intense turquoise background. One last gaze before I waved goodbye to the enigmatic portrait of Thomas Havard. The next day, all 66 works began their journey from London to Tehran. And that's when they started to tell a new story, that of a meeting of cultures.